Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G. Thanks so much for tuning in and checking us out. If this is your first time here, this is what we do on this podcast. Every interview, we talk to a different queer performer from all over the country. We've been all around and we bring them to you. We've had drag performers, we've had storytellers, stand-ups, songwriters, and now today our very first burlesque performer. Zena Zeitgeist. Super excited to bring her to you. She doesn't just do burlesque, she does so many things. She's written burlesque plays, she's done sketch, she's done stand-up, she's an actress. She was in the show Claws, which I learned during the interview. She's done so many cool things, and I was really excited that she sat down and talked with us and shared her world, and we're going to bring her to you now. And stay tuned after the interview for a clip of one of her performances. This is a sketch that she did that's posted on YouTube, but you could check it out at the end of the episode. So right now, let's get to it. Let's get to our interview with Zena Zeitgeist. Thank you for, for doing this interview. I've known you through stand-up. You do burlesque, which I've seen you do over the years. And we'll talk about the different types of burlesque and the different troops you're in and all that. You did the Queer Mountain Storytelling Show yeah, a while back. I did. Uh, the first thing I want to ask, how'd you get your name? So I was trying to think of, it's weird because I've never been attached to my like birth name. I've always gone by like other names. Before I got into burlesque, I did poetry and fiction writing and I wrote under a totally different name. And I was thinking, about using that for burlesque but I ultimately decided not to for kind of no reason other than I like coming up with new names so I had a list of maybe four names that I really liked and Xena Zeitgeist was one of them Xena from like warrior princess yeah. and then <laughs> Zeitgeist was from technically from Phoebe's Zeitgeist who was like a Barbarella type French comic book heroine from like the 70s it was a really obscure reference but also just Zeitgeist means spirit of the times and Xena is like outsider so I kind of liked that combination well this is a queer podcast so there are a lot of Xena <laughs> Xena fans out there yeah <laughs> I don't know you know Lucy Lawless you know she sings I did not know that. My brother, um, so I'm from L.A. originally, and he used to be a bouncer at all these clubs on Sunset. And one time Lucy Lawless was going to be singing at the Roxy, which is like a big deal. And my brother was like, OK, I can get you and a friend in. And I was like, I don't know any of her songs, but I got to go fucking see Zena sing. Like, I got to <laughs> go see this. And my friend and I got there early because we were going to go for dinner and get drinks beforehand. And that line was around the block. Like, it was just oh mullet after mullet and flannel after flannel. And I was like, okay, she has a target audience. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, and she can sing. That, that's I had no idea. I'll have to look up her music now. I always wonder because I love the word zeitgeist. I think it's just such a good word. And I think it's a good word for, you know, a performing name. But I'm always curious how people get their names. Thanks. Yeah, I really like the word too. There's a lot of foreign words that aren't translatable into 
English nicely that I like. There's a lot of good German words like Schadenfreude. Like, that's a good one. <laughs> That'd be a hard one to put on flyers. Yeah, that's not a good last name, but. You remember some of the other names that you were thinking about? Marceline Lascream was one. Oh, I like that. Avalon Loveless was one. There were like three or four. I was wondering what made second place and third place. Yeah, it's I I, I pulled a lot of people about them. One of my good friends from high school came up with Avalon Loveless, and I've been wanting to use it for something for a long time. Yeah, maybe you can have a offspring character of some sort, or mm-hmm. just like a one-off situation where you can use it. Be Avalon. Yeah, I just like the name Avalon as a name. And Marceline, like they're beautiful names, and they're yeah, definitely attention grabbing for mm-hmm. sure. I think we'll just get right into this because this is something that I know, you know, it came up in the community and, and I was concerned as, as a person doing stand up and, and performing. Uh, they have a weekly show at House of Blues that we do stand up mm-hmm. at. And I know we're just going to get into controversy right away um, <laughs> because, you know, I was so so you were part of it was a Bad Girls Burlesque. Yeah, the Bad Girls of Burlesque, which is like an offshoot of Bust Out Burlesque. And the same producer owns the New Orleans Burlesque Festival as well. There were some problematic issues issues with that producer there was a lot of outrage on Facebook and social media mm-hmm. and I remember really hoping that House of Blues would step in and, and do something about it because as a performer I didn't want to perform at a venue that didn't support the burlesque community and the, and the women and men who do the, the shows I know you were very involved in uh, spearheading that and I was mm-hmm. really excited to see that that did you know work itself out in a way that you know everybody's you know you guys are still able to perform there and it, on your own terms yeah basically um, it's that's been like a whole like whirlwind thing we just weren't sure what was going to happen initially but that had been brewing with that producer for a long time and it wasn't like the first public outrage thing that had happened with him either well and just like so many people had so many stories of just like awful things that that he had done and said just in terms of racist remarks sizist remarks um just general like misogyny and it's not even like in a way where he was gross and like trying to like hit on people or anything like that that wasn't the vibe at all it was just like a total disregard for people's feelings and like humanity it was just really weird the way that he seemed to view people as more like performers were more like his I don't know like little dolls or something like not not like people that he you know was working on a show with as people as uh, collaborators or yeah it seemed like he was kind of taking creative control over people that I feel that type of performance you should have your own creative control yeah that was a big issue with it and then like just stuff really insensitive stuff there was a performer with his troupe who um years back who committed suicide and he um technically owned her act and costume like he had paid for the costume and choreography so he kept it and then years later had a brand new like baby performer who like would have been like a teenager when this performer had done this act like put her in stage in this person's costume and didn't tell the new performer any of the history about it and then like people started getting upset and then he just really took no responsibility for doing that that's terrible putting someone else like because she's out there doing this thing yeah. and she has no idea yeah and she was like i want to say like 19 or 20 whenever he had her do that so she was super young and just really eager to get on stage which was basically the same thing that happened with the performer that he put on that caused everyone to leave she'd been kind of like warned to just try to stand your ground with him like try to don't do anything you're not comfortable with and don't let him like back you into any corners or anything like that because it just felt like he liked to push people a lot of the time but she 
did a baby firefly act from Rob Zombie, the Rob Zombie movies, and that included a Confederate flag patch on it, which like there was just no reason for that that character is not costume wise not iconic and just honestly like it's not even a good costume like for a burlesque stage the the costume is blue jeans and a tank top it's just not like a glamorous look it's not like a i don't know there's nothing like about that costume in itself that i think is interesting enough to warrant putting it on a stage with especially with a confederate flag patch at a venue that their slogan is unity and diversity. And he didn't give the venue any warning. He didn't give the cast any warning that that would be happening. But he had explicitly asked the performer to do that costume with the patch on it. She had asked if she could change it out for a different patch. And he said he wanted it to be accurate from the movie and not to change the patch out, which he like also didn't take responsibility for that whenever the cast confronted him after the show. There's just so much stuff with him, but it was just a breaking point. She was filling in for Juno that the new performer who was like a little 19 year old white girl was filling in for Juno, who's the only black cast member of any of his productions who she was doing a festival like she was doing something like really cool and more prestigious and he had someone fill in for her doing something super offensive that she would have absolutely never been okay with had she seen it like before it went on stage so it's just like really not great doesn't seem necessary to have it was so unnecessary like that's like that was like the most infuriating part for me it was like so because that's the other thing too like I've seen people do baby firefly and another like layer of this is phoenix rose started with that producer's troupe and she loves uh, the Rob Zombie movies. She did a baby firefly act on her own. She put it together and obviously did not include the patch. That's just like not something that she would ever do. And it was a really cute act, but she wanted to do it for bad girls. And then Rick like wouldn't even consider it. And so Rick wouldn't consider Phoenix's act. Phoenix stopped working for him. And then eventually, basically he had this new performer doing a version of that act that he wouldn't let her do just in a way more offensive form, which was just like... Just control for the sake of control. Yeah. I wanted to bring it up because what I thought was cool was how the community came together. Yeah. And how y'all yeah. now have creative control over a show that it's, a, you know, House of Blues is in the French Quarter. Like I said, when we do stand up there, it's a great space. We get a lot of tourists. We get a lot of people that normally wouldn't see our stuff. Yeah. So it's hard to think about. I was like, oh man, do we not perform here anymore? Like what's going on? And then you guys were able to, like I said, the community came together mm-hmm. and y'all got creative control, right? Yeah. That's- like, yeah. So that's been an interesting thing too, because like under him, like there was not, we just didn't know how much house of blues like had a hand in the productions or not and um so just pretty pretty quickly after that happened we all got together and we had meetings on our own and then we met with house of blues we were we weren't sure if they were even going to meet with us because i don't know i just feel like we i don't know like they're just like so removed from the burlesque scene and like just our brands and our stuff because most of the people in that troupe have full successful careers as producers completely outside of that like I've had my troupe running for five years I do big shows at Harrah's I have two weekly shows a monthly show like all of that Gogo McGregor has done a bunch of big productions El Dorado is one of the 
kind of, I think, the reasons that the New Orleans Burlesque Festival has been as successful as it's been. I don't know. She's done so much work for that, and she's done a lot of her own big productions as well. Cher Noble, who's pretty young and a pretty new performer, is like getting into producing on her own now also. So it's not like any of that was, it's not like we needed him ever, but we knew that House of Blues wouldn't know that going in. So we weren't sure if they would really give us the time of day because they were frustrated and they'd done business with him for so long. Or I mean, our perception was that they were, they would be frustrated. I don't know. Cause we just, we just weren't sure how they were going to feel about it, but they were pretty amenable to us giving us a shot. Obviously they're still like a big corporate venue. So they wanted to make sure that they were leaving the show in good hands and that it wouldn't be messy um, that we would still make money and do a good job. But it seems like that's happening. Our The first show that we did back sold out. There was It was completely packed. It was more people than I've ever seen there for a bad girl show. And the new troupe is called Inferno Burlesque. There have been like definitely some bumps getting that going. It's been interesting. But Juno and Naomi are now in charge of it. There's been talks of being kind of a rotating producer type thing so that like they're in charge of it now but just so they don't have to have that on their backs just constantly and the show can keep going under different people if maybe Juno wants to do like a big festival or something at some point and wants to like take some time off the show doesn't have to go away just because she's working on something else she can like just focus on performing and preparing for whatever she's interested in or you know just whatever and Naomi is great she was the stage manager for those productions for years and wasn't paid for most of that time. Oh, really? Yeah. That's see, that's always terrible with I just feel like some people don't get paid and we accept that. I know with stand up, like we barely like if I get five dollars in tips, I think it's a good night. And other people are like, Go get paid and but sometimes when you're doing especially like stage managing work, like that's that's work. That's not just showing up and doing yeah, your well, set. Like you're it's it's not creative. <laughs> it's yeah. yeah it's, it's time consuming and it's work. Yeah, and she was doing it like out of the kindness of her heart just because she liked to be backstage with the performers and make sure that we were taken care of because and there was a need for that with that show like that wasn't happening like she was making sure that props were being set in the right places that people knew where they were supposed to be at the right time stuff like that like making it run smoothly and she um eventually we started being able to get tips and then she would get tipped out but she was never getting a wage like from the producer any kind of payment in terms of that so now she is because she's the associate producer of inferno yeah and it's and it's good and i think your post on facebook had over 100 shares it was just the community just came together yeah people saw that happening and it just wasn't like it just for sure was not the first time he had so many people in the community which i've only been doing burlesque for five years and i i don't know just i know that a lot of people after that were like, oh, my God, he's been a problem for so much time. A lot of even like big producers in town who like you wouldn't think of were like, I started with him and I wanted to quit burlesque. I wanted to move and just be away from this after I worked with him. He made me feel so bad about myself. And that's too bad that that being around a bad producer or somebody who has that, you know, authority and control can like kill your creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just burlesque is such a niche thing. It's really easy to like get involved with a bad producer or just, I don't know, like a bad show or just something like that where your interests like aren't really at heart and it just feels like it's not for you. But there's so many different types of burlesque and there's so many different reasons for 
doing burlesque, especially now, like, I mean, we have the luxury of saying that now, whenever the burlesque revival kind of started, um, that wasn't the case. So a lot of people were just like, well, I guess this isn't for me and just kind of quit like early on. Or a lot of them went on and formed their own things. A lot of the successful producers in town did. That's what I love. I don't know how the burlesque scene is in other places, but I love about New Orleans is there's so many different types of burlesque mm-hmm. and there's so much cool. Like you, like you're part of you guys do the the nerdlesque. Is that mm-hmm. yeah. um, where it's like Harry Potter, but like yeah. Bob's Burger burlesque. Like it's the coolest shit. And like you wouldn't think about combining those two things together, but those shows are so successful. Yeah, we have so much fun doing those things. I like. I don't know. I like that kind of combination thing a lot of the times like I do a lot of burlesque plays the first show I ever put together was a a Batman burlesque play which I think that I'm the only one in town who does burlesque plays which is understandable because they are an insane amount of work (laughs) for like not like a lot of payoff unless you just really like writing and acting I don't know it sounds fun and it's different yeah it's different it's just way more rehearsals and for sure doesn't pay better so I see why other producers do not pursue that yeah but I just really like doing it and we have a lot of fun doing them and it's just yeah it's just something different it's just I don't know I like kind of looking at things through a different lens and like putting things together that don't seem like they would go together making things that don't seem glamorous glamorous and kind of drawing out some of the it's like not like sexuality is kind of inherent in everything and people are super uncomfortable with that so I like putting that in a setting where that is I don't know more easily digestible I guess yeah well anything can be sexy yeah it's just how you you know present it yeah it's how you present it and just like the human body isn't something that I feel like there needs to be as much fear of as there is. So I don't know. I like doing shows that try to draw that out a little bit. And what, so you've been doing burlesque five years. Mm -hmm. Had you been thinking about doing it for a while before you started or what was the catalyst or what was like, what were, when you were like, Hey, I'm going to try this. Did you do a class? Was it just something you've always wanted to do? I really just kind of jumped into it. It's, I think that I had always I didn't know, I think I grew up not knowing what burlesque really was and then seeing stuff like strippers and I don't know, people like painted like in that and I was always kind of comfortable with that, the showgirl kind of vibe. I was just always comfortable with that and wanted to explore that and when I moved here, I was like, there's probably stuff like that in New Orleans. So I like kind of looked into that a little bit. I went through college and didn't really connect with a lot of that. I danced in clubs occasionally, but wasn't the lifestyle of that wasn't really for me. I saw like a couple shows. I I saw a couple shows in St. Louis too, but I just like wasn't sure how to access that. But eventually I um, started dating someone who knew Trixie Minx and introduced me to her. And I kittened for one of her shows. Kittening is really low level stage managing. It's picking up the costume pieces and like setting up the props and stuff for shows it's still being involved in it's it. yeah you're still involved it's just more like behind the scenes and just it's you're not performing so I did that like for her a couple times um and I also Remy D was a friend of a friend from college and she agreed to have coffee with me and give me a lot of information about getting into burlesque and she had me go to meetings for the billion dollar baby dolls which was a troupe started by spooky lestrange who i she might 
she does stuff maybe occasionally now. She used to do stuff a lot more. I think that she's just gotten busier. She's an amazing performer. She's everyone you mentioned, Trixie and yeah. Remy. I'm like, they're all amazing performers. Yeah, Spooky's been around a, a long time and has started a lot of people's careers. So she was helpful in that. And then Remy was the first person to put me in a burlesque show. She put me in her Nightmare Before Christmas show and kind of like an ensemble part. I was one of the trick-or-treaters. I was the little demon trick-or-treater. That was really fun and I really liked that then Spooky put me in her little Comic-Con burlesque Comic-Con cuties it was a burlesque show that was all nerdlesque and sci-fi and comic book stuff it was my first solo act was a Daenerys Targaryen act and I stayed pretty in the realm of nerdlesque for a while pretty much like after doing those things I was like all right this is so great I really want to do this all the time and then I just wrote a Batman burlesque play and I was like, all right, now let's let's do this. We should do this show that I wrote. And Spooky was like, I don't really like Batman that much. <laughs> Seems like a lot. I should have gone with Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> but then this theater owner uh, that we did shows at then was like, no, you should just do it and produce it yourself. I'll just help and... I don't know, like maybe Remy will help and these other people. And so we did that. So you got into producing quickly. It was like immediately. Wow. Yeah. Because usually people do it for a while and then they start That producing. would be more normal. Yeah. <laughs> that would make more sense. There's no normal. That's what I love. It's like there's no, like I listen to a lot of interviews with stand-ups about like how they got to, you know, the fame and fortune and whatever. And everyone has such a different path, you know, it's just kind of yeah. things kind of, either I don't know there's like different paths you can take but I just feel like it's so different and even if they're at the same place now they all took a different road to get there yeah I think that that's true and that's worth worth noting yeah but I think about that all the time because people ask me for advice and I'm like I would not recommend doing what I did <laughs> I just I don't know there are people who I think have like the organization and skill sets that I had that made me successful at that early on but also I did a lot of shows that were just kind of terrible that's, how, that that's everyone, how we learn yeah everyone does shows that are not good though I mean I guess like for any amount of time producing is, is an entirely different skill set than performing yeah absolutely I don't know I think but because I hadn't been performing for that long I didn't feel comfortable giving any kind of critique to people that I was hiring even if they were like completely fucking off coming super late to rehearsals or like didn't have their costume ready or their costume was just awful I just didn't tell anyone anything because I just didn't I felt like I just I don't know I felt like I didn't have the clout to yeah you're like who am I to tell you you've been doing this longer than yeah, me who am I, I to do that and exactly like, but yeah. this is still a show and I'm still producing it and I still yeah have to... it's like I still sign the checks but <laughs> yeah. like I it was yeah it's that's been like the weirdest this has been the biggest hurdle for me I think is like having that kind of immediate imposter syndrome where it's like all right I'm hiring these people for shows and people are coming to them and they're selling well but I feel like they could be better and I don't know Especially because during a lot of that time, like my stuff wasn't great performance wise. I was still figuring things out. And despite funneling pretty much all of my money into that, like and into costuming and just stuff like that, it was a huge learning curve. So pretty much all of the stuff that I put together during that time was sort of terrible, which 
yeah you kind of have to go through that yeah you I do mean, it's with stand-ups like we have open we have open mics so yeah. i can go and try out terrible material and i know if it works or doesn't work for a booked show for mm-hmm. a show that they actually pay me to do or that i've been chosen to do versus signing up and anybody can sign up and burlesque and drag don't really have that so mm-hmm. it's it is such a different learning curve for y'all to have yeah that's that's very true yeah i think that there's Well, and it's weird, too, because there's kind of been like this fluctuation back and forth about rehearsals with burlesque, where there have been times in my career where people really did not want to rehearse. They did not want to have rehearsals. It would be like a reason for turning down a gig if they were required to like show the producer what they were doing, which sounds crazy, kind of. But I mean, I also get it, too, because it's like a lot of work to accommodate that because most performers are super busy but yeah it's like it's kind of gone back and forth where people have been like we must rehearse because we need the stuff that we're putting on stage to look like as been rehearsed (laughs) yes as good as possible and the producer needs to be able to see everything before it goes on stage to like create a set list and you know like make the order not super weird and to make sure that there's a, f- a certain flow a flow yeah because i know yeah like with the storytelling show like sometimes people have a really sad story and then the next person's got like a funny story and it's a hard balance you know in between mm-hmm. those and you have to make sure as the host or the producer that you're yeah. the you're the bridge between those two things yeah or else it can be very off-putting to <laughs> to people yeah it's really off-putting sometimes and it's the worst because there have been times whenever people like just wouldn't show up for stuff like that And then I had to like kind of buckle down and be like, all right, you have to come to this or I'm just taking you out of the show. And, you know, like people get mad about that. It it happens whenever I'm like if I ask someone to do a show and, you know, because I've you've been on my show, I'm like, here's the call time. Here's what you what I expect from you. Here's what's going to happen when you're on stage. And if you don't like any of this. Don't then do don't do it. the show yeah. like that's that's your like when you agree to do the show this is what you agree to mm-hmm. and you agree you understand this is I say this is the payment because sometimes people don't like to say exactly what payments I'm like this is the minimum you'll get that's mm-hmm. all I can guarantee if it's more great and if you don't want to do it that's it that's your you're out yeah I think that I don't know I prefer that like I just prefer structure though because I feel like finding like my own chaos within structure but if there's no structure to go off of then it's just all is lost <laughs> like I don't and and how, how do you think that your queer identity plays into like when you're coming up with acts or when you're performing on stage or even producing like how do you think that that piece of you gets shown on stage or doesn't get shown on stage that's a good question I feel like well for the shows I produced most of the shows that I've produced have been super queer leaning in terms of plot lines and like character pairings casting I make it very gay like it's just (laughs) like yeah I think all of the shows that I've ever produced have been just like really gender bendy a lot of kind of couplings of same-sex couplings I let people do kind of whatever they want in their act to a certain extent like pretty much all of the people that I employ are LGBT like somewhere on that my troop is like pretty much entirely queer people so there's almost no way that that wouldn't color that and sometimes I feel like I'm so entrenched in the scene that I just forget that other there are just like really straight-laced 
like no pun intended people (laughs) just I don't know out in like Metairie or something who find their way to our shows and are just very taken aback but I think that's great I think that Metairie is a suburb in New Orleans for folks that uh, just pick any suburb wherever you're from Mm -hmm. that's Metairie right there it's every chain restaurant ever TGA Fridays is popping all the time Mm -hmm. there's probably like three chilies I think there I mean you know you have folks that that's not their common experience and I love that's why I love House of Blues because it's tourists from the Midwest and from all over yeah. the place that don't have this experience. So sometimes that's why I ask because for me, my queerness is such a part of my act. I don't have a set that doesn't have a lesbian joke in it mm-hmm. or a reference or me coming out to the audience. And and I think it's it's different in burlesque. It's a different type of expression. But I yeah. just wondered how that played in and if it, if it is a thought in you know what you're doing or if it's just you're just like this is me and some shows have that and some shows don't. I think because it's so entrenched in my identity identity and just like really in the identity of the New Orleans burlesque scene as a whole it's really hard to do shows where that factor is taken out there are definitely producers that do that that are not queer themselves but for me and then I'm good friends with Bella Blue and we work together a lot and pretty much all of her shows are extremely gay as well there's just like kind of no way around it even whenever I'm hosting like the times dating way back to like when I first started hosting like pretty much all of my introductions and just things like that like there would always be I don't know kind of queer identifying stuff in there it's hard to I think separate that there's super classic stuff that I do where I guess it's harder to discern that but like anything else that I do it's just pretty gay I feel like <laughs> that's how I feel so yeah. I'm 100% on board with this that's yeah. why I was like I, I gotta ask this but I think I might know the answer to yeah. it when did you start hosting was that something you, you always did you know I've spoken to some drag performers on this show and just in life and burlesque perform I have a friend who does burlesque who would never say a word on stage like that's, that's so funny. the most terrifying thing but but going on to me the most terrifying thing would be a burlesque performance that's stressful to me but me speaking words to an audience not stressful and we both had these like opposite experience where she's like no fucking way and I'm like no fucking way well I've been hosting for a long time but before that I did poetry and fiction and stuff so I would do readings for that but that has never bothered me well and I've done acting stuff like since I was little I was doing plays at the YMCA whenever I was growing up so being in front of an audience saying words or dancing or whatever it is has never been a thing for me it's honestly like my social anxiety in situations where I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing there's not like a script for me to follow or like an objective that is the most overwhelming horrifying thing to me just like the moments after shows when people come up to me and are like that was great like you were so good it was so cool there's like a quota of like compliments like one person can give me where I'm just like after I say thank you once I don't know what to say (laughs) whenever people come up to me I say the same thing and I'm sorry if I've done this to you but I you come up to me oh great show whatever I say thank you for coming to the show yeah and then I want to leave the conversation yeah that's same same here and like unless there's like some other thing but usually after after I say that they're like yeah and then it was so good and this other thing and then I'm like well I've already said thank you I don't I don't know what to do now like socially I'm not sure (laughs) and I appreciate it like I I am genuinely like that's why I say that because I mean it to everybody I'm like thank you for choosing you could have done anything in the world and you chose these two hours to come to this show and I do appreciate that but Mm -hmm. yeah I, I feel awkward with the oh and this joke and that and you're just like 
thank you for coming to the show. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for being here. <laughs> yeah. That's, I feel like that like just over and over again. And I'm genuinely grateful and I just like don't know how to express it outside of what I've already said. And it's just like such a. Yeah. I'm like, check my social media tomorrow when I make a post where I can use the words to express it. But right now. Yeah. And you also, exactly. when you finish a show, like there's so much going on. Like, I just want to chill for us. That's the hard mm-hmm. thing is like, you just did a show and you probably just want to sit alone for 10 minutes and yeah. just maybe meditate or just kind of just get that energy back. Cause you just expelled all this energy. Right. And then you have to be on mm-hmm. in a whole other way. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that people don't realize that, especially cause there are a lot of introverted performers and that's oh, such yeah. an introvert thing. I just feel like emotionally exhausted a lot of the time because it's hard for me to, I don't know, like really keep track of the amount of energy that I'm giving during a performance or hosting or just whatever, even just because I produce so many shows, managing the cast backstage, like in those personalities takes a lot. Mediating all of that, making sure that all of that's going well can be kind of draining for me. Like I genuinely love doing it, but I need a minute after to just be by myself and just have it be quiet for a second. Decompress. That's the word decompress. I was thinking of when yeah, I was like meditate. It. I was like, no, no, like something kind of similar. Yeah, yeah like a yeah. decompression moment where I just want to be like with my thoughts and quiet for a minute and then I can like go back and do it again. But it, I need to recharge before I enter back into that. But also I'm just I'm very bad. No matter how much recharging I do, I am not good at like unscripted social scenarios in like a group setting. Because I also do the thing in my head where I've decided like this is how a conversation is going to go mm-hmm. and it never ever yep. has gone the way that it's been in my head. Yeah. Even confrontation. Like if I, I'm not a confrontational person, but if there's That's something the that that bothers me so much that I'm like, I really need to have this conversation. I work it all out in my head and I'm like, okay, that's how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say this. They're going to say this. It's going to be great. And it there's that other factor of that other person and you can't predict that and it is stressful. Yeah, no, I completely identify with that. I'm still not great at confrontation, but earlier in my career, I would just like avoid it at all costs. Sometimes you just have to confront people, though, at a certain point, especially when you're in charge of people. So I would just go into it and just get completely steamrolled because in my head, I would be like, all right, this is going to be great. And this person's going to respect my boundaries and mm-hmm. it's going to be awesome. And that would just never. Yeah. And if it's, if that doesn't happen, then now you have the answer to that versus being like, I hope that they'll show up to rehearsal on time. Yep. And I hope this and, you know, we're all in this together. And it's like, look, if it, this isn't right for you, then find somewhere else to perform. Because there's tons of other places to perform that don't have rehearsals that you can just show up and do whatever you want. And mm-hmm. that's not your show. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just not. What do you want for your future? Like if you had an endless amount of money and resources, what do you want for your future? I... I have gotten more into acting in like the last year and I like that a lot and I like doing comedy and stuff too but I my degree is in writing and I think that my ultimate like dream goal would be to have a show that I could write on and act in that would show life on the small stage like in a city like New Orleans for like drag queens, for less people, stand-ups, people who are performers but are not in Hollywood trying to make it. I feel like that dream has been illustrated a lot. Oh, yeah. And I feel like... <laughs> in every art form. In every, yeah. And I feel like just the scene here and just the way, like, the way of life and that weird, like, kind of being kind of small-scale locally famous is such a bizarre 
thing. Do you get recognized? Yes, often. And it's really weird. It never happens at a good time. When you just like hung over as fuck and I, you're like, I'm I just, just need like, this caffeine. Yeah, I'm just like at the grocery store, like having an argument. And then someone's like, I saw this show. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's nice. It, it is appreciated. It's just always, I don't expect it. And I'm just like a a really introverted person so then whenever that like comes out I'm just like Wah! Mm. people do a thing to me very often where they start talking to me as if we are friends and I should know them when half the time they've just seen my shows and we've never spoken to each other and that is very jarring because I have like a crippling fear of letting people down and forgetting people so I'll just go along with it as if um, I do know the person and that leads to only more strange encounters yeah I do the same I totally relate to that I if someone comes up to me and I can't remember their name or if I've ever met them Mm -hmm. I will play along and I told my girlfriend because when we first started dating she's like you didn't introduce me to this person I'm like I don't know who the fuck they are are. exactly and I was like just know if I don't immediately introduce you to somebody yes I need you to step up and and do the introduction and she's been great about that oh my god she she gets and she started doing drag herself so now she's like that's great I understand everything about this yeah that's like it's caused so many weird problems in my past relationships because people have just been like I don't know I've dated a lot of insecure people who've been like, oh, like just thought I was like hiding this person from them I'm like yeah. I've never met this person in my life I think they just saw me like dressed as Princess Leia once and they think we're friends now I don't know like and they related to that and yeah form this friendship that doesn't exist it's, yeah it like happens often and then it happens too with people online which and I appreciate it and a lot of the time like that's like a weird shitty thing too where I'll have kind of minor friendships with people online but I'll only know like their Instagram name which has nothing to do with their (laughs) real life name and also like their profile pictures like a flower or something like that and not like their face so I don't know who that person really is you're like hey buddy boy five two nine five yeah exactly but if they came up and started talking to me I would have no idea who they were and they'd be like well I think we're friends online and I'd just be like maybe I don't know I've had moments too where I've been like do we know each other and then the person if we do they're like yes we met at this thing and we talk about this and I'm just like oh my god that's why I'm so fearful of those moments me too that I do the opposite but I've also had, I don't know if you've ever had this where someone's been talking to you, like they know you and they, they realize themselves halfway through the conversation that they've only seen you perform yeah, and they haven't actually had a conversation with you. Yeah. It's the weirdest like facial expression and they're, cause they're embarrassed. And now I feel bad cause I'm like, I could have nip this in the butt in the beginning but I wasn't sure if you're someone I actually knew or someone right well and then I and I get introduced to like kind of a lot of people after shows I try to remember those people but it's like post-show mode I feel like I just kind of black out at the end of the night just from kind of exhaustion I'll meet people and have conversations with them sometimes like really nice people that I really like and then I just forget completely it's weird you know after a show you have to be on in like a whole other way yeah but I'm always worried that someone I've met after a show is like coming up and talking to me again later and then I don't remember them it's all good it's all people that are out there supporting what we're putting out there and putting so much work into so it's awesome and people keep coming up to Zena and keep coming up to me yeah uh, we, we will still we will work through our social anxiety yeah no I, I still appreciate it it's just it's like weird for me in the moment and I haven't found a good solution for it but I'll eventually find one. It's getting easier. It used to be way worse. Sometimes I'll just step backstage after a show and just chill there. Be like, I'm sorry, I have to take care of something. I I don't have anything to take care of. 
Well, and then sometimes I legit do have things to take care of, but I get like engrossed in a conversation with someone and don't know how to gracefully leave it. Also, yeah. that's a thing that happens. And then people backstage are like, where is she? Someone needs to count this <laughs> bank bag so we can leave. Yeah, other people are waiting on you to go home and yeah. you're just like, I'm, and I'm just, trying to be polite. Yeah, like that happens a lot too. But I still like, I still really appreciate it. It's just a weird thing to navigate, especially because I'm not, I don't know, for the the amount of times that happens, It's I don't have like any like middleman there to be like, okay, now your time talking to this person is over. You should go backstage. I don't have like a manager being like. Yeah. Oh, it'd be so nice for someone to be like, hey, we need you backstage. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should uh, find somebody like a, a friend that when we go to shows and we kind of give like a signal, like we brush our shoulder yeah. and that friend comes over and they're like, they need you somewhere else right now. Yeah. I just, yeah, that would be great. I could probably just pay Naomi a little bit extra to just do that. Yeah. You're like $5 every time I give the signal. Come on over. Yeah, just get me. That would be amazing. I don't know how much... I've seen you do stand-up before. I don't know how often you do it or if you were doing it just to help with hosting or if it's something you want to do. Do you remember your first stand-up? I think that I actually did stand-up before I did hosting just on a whim. I've always loved stand-up and just been interested with it. I think I did stand-up the first time before I did burlesque even. But it was... I don't know. I did it like once at an open mic forever ago just to see how it went it went okay and then I started hosting shows out of kind of necessity initially I like I was interested in it but I wasn't really confident enough to do that of my own accord but then there would just be situations where I just couldn't find anyone else to do it there just weren't like a lot of there was a dry spell of burlesque hosts during a certain point in my career, which is very much over now. Yeah. Now I just, (laughs) yeah, there's a lot now. And now I just really like hosting. I I prefer it to performing a lot of the time. I want to do more stand-up. Mostly the problem is that the stand-up happens at the same time as the burlesque. Yeah. So that's the biggest challenge with that. But I want to have a full hour of material and I know you talk about this I guess the stress of of doing like you're worried about the confidence level of your performance but I also feel like like even what you just said you're like on a whim I did stand up like that's amazing it took me six months of like studying it and going to shows and writing before I even got up there and you're like you're just like I want to try this thing and you go for it yeah that's that's so cool been a theme in my life I was like that much more before I started doing burlesque and then I got around like a lot of, I don't know, I think I got deeper into the scene and there's a lot of judgmental performer types and so I think that that's pushed that down in me a little bit more but it's still there. I still, I think that I gain most of my success a lot of the time from lack of knowledge which is crazy because I'm like a very over analytical person who I like to research things a lot whenever I get obsessed with things and then just want to know everything about it but I don't think that's ever helped me that much. Mm-hmm. I think that the stuff that usually helps me is whenever I'm like this could be cool to try I guess I'll just do it because then I don't learn the things about it and learn why it's hard. Yeah well you also just you're raw you know like yeah. you're going in it with just that with you know you know, instead of having it in your head, like, here's how jokes work, or here's how I should stand on stage, or here's how I should, you know, what type of music I should choose for my numbers. You just do what feels right. It was the same with burlesque. Yeah, yeah. I and just... part of it's like a gut. Uh, you have to trust your gut. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really cool that you've been able to do that. Yeah, it's almost like I wish I could have, like, held on to that more. I kind of did that with acting, too. Like, I just, the first TV film thing I, I did was for Claws. I mean, the first real one that wasn't a student film. It's for Claws. I got hired to be a stripper at a funeral. 
was like a that show's so I fucking love oh, that it's show. Absurd. It's, it's absurd and I love it. It's so absurd. But so I like I did that and then I felt like I just that went well for me. They liked me and brought me back a lot and eventually gave me lines and that worked out. I think also because I was I just still had this like kind of naivete about it being hard. A lot of people who do background stuff are like really hungry to like get lines and like mm-hmm. succeed in that. And I was just like, I'm just here having a good time. There are snacks here. That's great. <laughs> and so I feel like that worked out for me because I didn't have any expectations about it. And I was just like, this is constantly fascinating and ridiculous. And that's great for me. Yeah, that's a cool show to be a part of. And it's also cool to see how TV shows and movies with budgets get made. Yeah, that was super fascinating. And I think that was also partially why I was just like happy to be there just in any capacity. I wasn't really angling for anything. I was trying to do a good job, but I'm forever trying to do a good job. I've always been like the obnoxious like teacher's pet type, but I just, I don't know. I didn't really have strong ambitions whenever I was doing that. I think it helped. Because a lot of the people in that environment definitely want to be like a famous actor or something. And I was like, I don't know. This is cool. What's this person's job? Guess I'll talk to them for a while. I don't know. Yeah, you were learning about it. Do you think you did a good job? On Claws? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I did. I don't know. For the most part, it's kind of hard to tell that I did what they wanted me to. And I don't know. I think that like my worst thing was like, I just don't have a concept of social hierarchy things, which is also the source of a lot of my social anxiety is I if I can't tell how important like someone is or like something is or and I don't understand like the rules for navigating like a thing like that initially on claws like it just didn't matter like I just talked to anyone all the time and just tried to like kind of have fun but at a certain point I just got really comfortable there and would just I don't know I definitely like offended some of the people just by being that and like not being they're like oh you can't talk to this person because you're not yeah in the same hierarchy level as them yeah yeah it became like a problem I came back for the second season like a little bit and all of the actors who I had worked with on the previous season who I have friendships with like were coming up and talking to me and then like ADs and stuff were like you can't talk to this actor they're like this person is like a recurring cast whatever and I'm just like I they approached me okay they're like you don't have a trailer with your name on it you can't be here yeah exactly like that was like the vibe but like I was like I didn't know I don't know sorry no and they probably like whoever are the actors clearly they're talking to you and they probably don't give a fuck they're just like no they talk to whoever you want if they're cool you'll keep talking to them right suck we'll stop talking to them yeah a lot of the actors like came back because I was there for like the whole first season just doing like strippery stuff I was like supposed to be like the head stripper at Shishi's, which is was Uncle Daddy's strip club. Um, so Uncle then I was, Daddy. yeah, I was there doing that for pretty much every episode of the first season. So I was around them a lot. So then I was back for the second season for like a little bit, just more strippery stuff. Then all the actors were had seen me like regularly during the first season were just, oh my god, you're back, just talking with me. Like I'm friends with some of them on social media and stuff like that. They're all really nice people, but yeah, I think that a lot of the other people, crew people were were new and were just like this person shouldn't be talking to actors. And I was just like, oh, I shouldn't. I don't know. I did that the whole time last season and it seemed fine, but People are people. Like, well, shouldn't, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, I get it. Like, a lot of the time, like, they don't want, like, background people to, like, come be like, let me have your autograph, like, actor person. That's disruptive, and I get it, but 
I think that also, I don't know, honestly, I think that because I was playing a stripper, there were a lot of, I don't know, (laughs) weird, like discomfort things with that. That's just been a thing like for a lot of my, my life and times where I just feel like there's a stigma with that. And people were like, this like scantily clad woman is talking to this actor. It could only be some kind of sexual scandal clearly Clearly, that's all it is well it was like right after me too also and i think that there were some worries about stuff with that which i think is i don't know telling about like just how much hollywood kind of has to has to go on that yeah front i mean they've come a long way in the last few years but there's so much more that needs to happen yeah well and just yeah in terms of victim blaming and like it's just fear of women's sexuality in general queer sexuality also there's just a lot of places that we could grow as a culture and society yeah definitely you know that's just your character and they're taking that as defining who you are as an entire person Mm -hmm. and then attaching their own judgment to it right which is like but they hired me to be that character but I think that people just yeah just make those assumptions of like anyone who does parts like that or does burlesque or is a stripper or even like women who dress in like a sexy way or just whatever like I think that there are a lot of assumptions about women that are made based on that which is like especially shitty for industries where they're hired to do that like based on assumptions about them I don't know it's like you need someone to play this part but you're gonna judge you're gonna judge whoever that is as just being just that yeah that's it it's fucked up. Do you get any criticism or like uh, internet trolls or anything from your burlesque or from any other performance that you do? Yeah. All the time. Just, I don't know. It's been like really all over the board, whatever that is. And it's, sometimes it's not even people trying to troll. Sometimes it's just gross people trying, I don't know, looking for jerk off material or something. Like, I'm not really sure. And do you um, respond to them? Do you have like a, a method of approach or? It really depends on how I'm feeling. Like sometimes I'll troll them back. I'm very good at trolling people. <laughs> One time someone sent me a dick pic and I sent them back a hundred dick pics. Like <laughs> they were really heinous dick pics the ones i yeah like i was like herpes dick pics google (laughs) image search damn and i sent them back relentlessly until that person blocked me taste of their own medicine yeah i live by hammurabi's code one dick pic shall be paid 100 fold yeah i was like it's not a a dick for a dick it's no dick for 100 dicks and they're gonna be some fucked up dicks yep (laughs) That's how I live my life. Don't cross me, anyone listening. That's good that you stand up for yourself because, you know, with stand up, I don't really get like, you know, I think it's a different uh, form of expression. But I've been very worried about my queer material coming back at me. Yeah. I haven't had that experience yet. But if I did, I don't know. I don't know if I would just block the person myself or Mm -hmm. if I would try to talk to them or if I would send them a hundred gross sticks which I'm going to keep in my back pocket because if anybody ever trolls me that is a great plan also if you're like into internet stalking which sometimes it's just I don't know sometimes it's there also yeah send them a picture back of their mom (laughs) or their grandma like just female members of their family yeah I like this (laughs) yeah don't cross Xena. Yeah. <laughs> can you tell uh, Can you tell the folks where they can find you, where we can connect with you, what shows you got coming up? I'm 
on Instagram and Twitter at Zena Zeitgeist, X-E-N-A-Z-E-I-T-G-E-I-S-T. I run the Society of Sin. It's thesocietyofsin.com. And we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Society of Sin. That's most of my social media stuff. I guess I'm on YouTube and Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Zeitgeist. It's like loot crate for artists, kind of. I send out like backstage Polaroids every month and like people can vote on show themes. And like if I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing with this costume, here are some options and people can vote on that. It's, it's kind of fun. It's like a nice little community of supportive people. Yeah, and it's a good way for them to connect with you and you to connect with them. Yeah, yeah, I like Patreon a lot. Well, thank you so much for doing this show. I hope you had a good time. Yeah. And go check Xena out everywhere, but don't send her dick pics. <laughs> America, the land of the free, the home of democracy, and the free market. But if you're a woman in America, sometimes you can feel like your options are limited. It can feel like justice will always be just a little out of reach. Until now. Are you a woman in America with genitals? Are you walking around every day unsure of how to protect yourself from violent crimes such as rape and sexual assault? Look no further. Here at Torres and Zeitgeist, we specialize in vaginal business law. You see, in biblical times, women were seen as property. Valuable men's property. In fact, women's hymens of the time were protected under a sort of you break it, you buy it law. That means that if you sexually assaulted a man's daughter, that was equivalent to property damage and you would be responsible for repaying the woman's value to her family. And if you couldn't pay, let's just say a bright future was not in store for you. But not anymore. Today, women in America are free. That's right. Our vaginas and our psyches damaged from sexual assault aren't worth this big pile of money anymore. But wait, don't you wish there was something that you could do as a woman to ensure that in 2016 America, you'd be entitled to the same justice for your rape or sexual assault trauma that the man that owned you would have been able to collect for damage to his property in the case of sexual violence in biblical times? So do we. That's why here at Torres and Zeitgeist Law Firm, we specialize in vaginal incorporation. What's vaginal incorporation, you ask? Vaginal incorporation is where we take your female body, a high-risk property with next to no value on its own, and we officially turn it into an American business, endowing it with rights and value previously unimaginable to your ordinary worthless American woman. And once your pussy is officially a corporation, you'll be protected against all kinds of things, like slip and falls. The claim that damage occurred because the assailant's penis slipped and fell inside your body will no longer hold up in a court of law now that your vagina is your business property. Plus, now you have the power to charge perpetrators with a number of straightforward, non-controversial crimes if they violate your incorporated pussy. Things like breaking and entering, loitering, property damage, theft or robbery, violation of religious freedoms. But Alana, Aren't women naturally allowed to express their religious freedom since they're Americans? As long as their religious beliefs don't state that they should be treated like intelligent human beings. <laughs> Does a restaurant that gets broken into get asked what shade of paint it was wearing when the crime occurred? Does a gas station that gets robbed get asked if it should have less liquor inside of it to avoid becoming an easy target? 
Does a bank that gets vandalized get asked if it's sure it didn't want it? Maximize your rights as an American. Incorporate your vagina. Call 555-5555 now if you think you or a loved one may be in danger of having a vagina. Protect yourself. Make your pussy America's business. Thank you to Zena Zeitgeist for sharing her world with us. A special thank you to Ryan Golub and Jessa Fallon for your help producing and editing the podcast. You can check out Greetings from Queer Mountain, the live queer storytelling show in New Orleans, Austin, New York City, and now in Oakland. You can find us on Facebook. Also, if you like the interview, if you like our show, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. Give us some likes. Give us some ratings. Give us a shout out. Uh, We'll see you around. All right, take care. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.